Take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter 1 in our Bibles together this morning. There was a phrase in that song that mentioned the the words of God that can never fail. And uh, that's what we're gathering around now, the word of God that cannot fail. I don't know what the challenges you may be facing in life or the hardship or maybe it's heartache. Maybe things are going really well. But whatever it is, whether maybe it was just a long week, it wasn't a bad week, uh, but it was just a hard week, and you're, you're tired and you're weary physically, and uh, the Word of God has the answer for our every need. And uh, what a wonderful hymn as we come to the Word of God this morning. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, only looked at it, I think, four times so far. We're still in chapter 1. Of course, as we looked and we've studied this passage in chapter 1, really what the Apostle Paul wants us to know, what he wanted the church at Ephesus to know, is uh, how, how we're not paupers. We have what we need. And that's what, really what his message is to these believers. You have what you need, no matter where you are, no matter how old you are or how young you are, uh, whether you, you're, you're not sure if you have what it takes to face what you're going up against. Paul wanted these believers that he loved and he cared for to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are rich. You are rich in Christ. You have everything that you need for what you're facing. And that's really what God wants us to know. As we studied this passage, we saw how the, that God the Father chose us. He chose us. Do you know that not one of us could be saved if God had not chosen to save us? Uh, he chose to save us. That's a wonderful thought. Um, tonight we'll be in the book of Revelation in chapter 18. And um, there's a, a great city, a, a powerful city that's going to be destroyed in chapter 18. And uh, the, the kings of the world are going to mourn. And the merchants of the world are going to mourn. The businessmen of the world are going to mourn. And the sailors and those who are involved in the trades and, and selling her goods and bringing goods to her city, they're all going to mourn and weep. And uh, there really is an awful, it's very clear, but it really is an awful description of this city and her wickedness and her idolatry. And uh, as I've been studying it this week, I've just been reminded of how sinful man really is. And uh, and so when I think about this truth that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, about how a holy God in mercy and in love chose to save me. It really is overwhelming. And of course, as we study this passage, we notice not only did God choose to save us, but then Jesus Christ uh, came uh, by the will of his Father to do his will. Remember, Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, And he died on a cross and he shed his blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so he shed his blood, and so we saw from this passage that we're rich in Christ because Jesus Christ, he's forgiven us, he's redeemed us. You remember the word redeemed, he purchased us off of the slave block of sin to serve the Lord with all of our lives and with all of our hearts. And then, of course, the last truth that we saw a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the working of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, And we saw how that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed. And what a wonderful word that was as we looked at it and we studied it. And there's so much truth and so many wonderful thoughts wrapped up in that word sealed. But really the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you this week, no matter where you were, 
No matter what news came to your ears, came to your understanding, whether it was good or bad from your perspective, the Holy Spirit of God was with you and he was comforting and he was encouraging. He was leading and directing in our lives throughout this week. To, this is the way, walking in it. And you know that the Holy Spirit of God, as he encourages us and convicts us sometimes, you know that the Holy Spirit of God is actually God's assurance, his down payment, so to speak, his assurance that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to save our souls. And uh, when we've received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we received the Holy Spirit of God that day, and we are saved, and we will be saved, and there is no possible way that we can lose that salvation. And my heart really has been overwhelmed with the wonderful truths that we've considered in this passage. And that brings us to verse number 15 and following, and really we're going to look this morning at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. But let's look in verse number 15, I'll read down through verse number 19. And uh, let's read the word of God. It says this in verse 15. Wherefore, Paul writes, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now it goes on. We're going to stop there this morning for sake of time. But really as we read these, these verses, we find Paul's heart is overwhelmed for these believers. As he thinks about them and word comes to him about them, these believers in the city of Ephesus, and he hears about them and his heart is drawn out in thanksgiving. And he praises God and he can't stop himself from going to prayer for these believers who he loves so much. And uh, he begins to pray for them. And so we're going to look at one of Paul's prayers for these believers this morning. And And as we think about these truths, I want you to know, and this is the one truth that you want to come away from this passage with, that whatever it is in your life, you have, you have everything. You have everything that you need, all found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word. Truly, it has everything that we need. Father, so we've come together, we've gathered ourselves to hear from you. We want to better know you. Uh, Father, we want to live our lives on a daily basis in the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by his mighty power. So, Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Do what I cannot do and move in our hearts and help us know you more. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to remind you as we begin this morning that the Apostle Paul had lived in the city of Ephesus for three years. But it had been about five years since he had been there. Now, you can imagine having lived in the city of Ephesus, what it might have been like. It was, a, it was an idolatrous city. But when Paul had come, he had led many of these believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't just get them to pray a prayer and then leave them. 
Uh, No, he was committed to carrying out the Great Commission, which meant preaching Christ, pointing people to the Lord Jesus, leading people to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but then also teaching them to observe whatsoever things that Paul had been commanded, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so when that would happen, believers who began to follow the Lord they would form a local church. They would begin to assemble together, like we've assembled here this morning. And they formed a church. And for three years, the Apostle Paul taught. Can you imagine what that must have been like to sit and hear the Apostle Paul teach? Can you imagine what it must have been like to sit as, as Paul had been receiving uh, from the Lord what he, what he needed to, to say? And he'd been teaching portions of the Old Testament and And these new believers would have sat there and they would have heard the Apostle Paul preach. And they could have asked questions and Paul could have given answers. And these believers would have grown little by little. Starting, first of all, having never known the truth, coming to the Lord in salvation and then being baptized and then growing in the truth and and a better understanding of the Word of God. And they grew in maturity and the church grew. And so for three years, Paul administered to them and And really, I think it's an understatement to say that the Apostle Paul loved these believers. I think that's true for every believer that the Apostle Paul knew. It doesn't seem to matter what book or what letter he penned down. He's always talking about his love. You can can sense it as you read through the books that he wrote, that Paul's heart, he ached for them when they weren't walking with the Lord. He hurt when they hurt. And he loved them with an intense love. And uh, Paul, at this point, is is separated from them. He hasn't seen them for about five years. uh, And and he had led many of them to the Lord. And and they had followed Paul's example. And he had taught them God's word. And their lives had been changed forever because of him. Look back in in, in the book of Acts, would you, for just a moment. Acts chapter 20. I think it will help us understand a little bit of his love uh, for them in Acts chapter 20. Of course, Paul had been kicked out of the city of Ephesus. He wasn't allowed to come back. And uh, later, Paul was traveling by the city of Ephesus. He couldn't go to the city of Ephesus, but he traveled by. And word got to some of the pastors there of the church at Ephesus, and they came out to meet him. And, uh, and I'll begin reading in verse number 28. There's more we could read, but I won't do that. Verse 28, Paul's talking to some of the pastors from the church at Ephesus. And he says to them, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, talking about the church, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he says this, also of your own selves, some of you as pastors shall men arise, speaking perverse things, distorted things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Isn't that, doesn't that give you a sense of Paul's heart for them? For three years, he taught and he warned them with tears, he says. He, he, he taught the word of God to them. Verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. I'm giving you into the hands of God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. He says in verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. 
Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then notice verses 36 and 37. And when he had thus spoken, and he's about to leave now, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that, he should see, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. And so the, those were the pastors of the church at Ephesus. They had come out to meet him and he, he stood there and he talked to them and he warned them and he reminded them of his ministry there in Ephesus. Three years with tears he had taught the word of God to people. And he warns them, and he says, Satan's going to attack you. You need to guard the church and watch for the church. And then Paul, as he tells them, you're not going to see me again on this earth. And he kneels down and he prays. And these pastors just come and they hug him and they kiss his neck. And then they see him to the ship and he leaves. So it's very clear that Paul had this unique relationship with the pastors of this church and with the members of this church. And it was this, these people to whom Paul is writing to and praying for in this passage. There are three truths here in Ephesians chapter 1 I want to notice this morning. Uh, Three observations, if I could say it that way. Number one, Paul had heard of their faith in the Lord, and he had heard of their love for one another. Paul had heard of their faith and of their love. Notice in verse number 15 again of Ephesians chapter 1. Verse number 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints. I wonder sometimes what people hear about Trinity Baptist Church. I wonder what our our reputation is. Um, You know, that's not what ought to concern us most. It ought to concern us most what God knows us to be. But, But... Paul heard, he got a report back uh, of of the church at Ephesus, and you can imagine how Paul longed to hear, how are they doing? If anybody had passed through the area of of Ephesus, Paul might have asked them, how's the church in Ephesus? How are they doing? How are the pastors? And and, and Paul would have listened very intently as that messenger might have uh, told and communicated to him, well, the church is doing well, and it's growing, or but he doesn't talk about growth necessarily here. He talks, the, the word that he hears is of their faith in the Lord Jesus. And he hears of their love for one another. I'm, I want to remind you that this epistle, this official letter was not just intended for the church at Ephesus. It, it's what's called a circular, circular letter. It was to be circulated. Around, So, in other words, the church of Ephesus would have received it first, and they would have passed it along to another church, and their pastor would have read it and taught it. And then he would have passed it on to another church, and copies would have been made, and copies would have been made, and we have it today. It's, it wasn't just for the church at Ephesus, it was for you and for me as well. It's intended for all believers. And, and, and Paul had heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for their fellow believers. And, and notice in verse number 16 how Paul's heart responded to the good news that he heard about them. In verse 16 he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Even this morning as I sat here and we sang a hymn, and we were singing about what the Lord Jesus Christ 
does in our hearts and our lives, and we were all singing it out about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And I happened to look up from my hymnal, and I looked out into the audience, and there are individuals in this congregation that are gathered this morning, people whose marriages were this close to being destroyed, and yet sit here today singing praises of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. And I look out in this audience, and there are people sitting here today who weren't a born-again child of God even a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. And yet you sit here today rejoicing and singing praise to God's name about what he's done. And I have to say, my heart was drawn out to another level to sing that song when I look back to those words about what Jesus Christ has done. And I think in even a greater way, this was the response of the Apostle Paul. He'd invested three years of his life teaching with tears the word of God and seeing people trust Christ. But you know, you know how it is. Uh, you, you, even in our own personal lives, we can be a born-again child of God, and yet we can choose to disobey the leading of the Spirit of God. We, we can choose to not obey the Word of God. We can choose to not assemble with the believers, the children of God, and we can choose to forsake the truths of God. And it always rejoices our hearts. It always is an encouragement to each one of us, isn't it? When God's people who have received Christ walk and follow the Lord. And so as Paul heard the message, what's going on there in Ephesus? What's going on with the church? Tell me what's happening. Well, i got to tell you, Paul, they're, they're, they're taking God at his word. Paul, you should hear about this one family. This is where they used to be, and, and you remember them, don't you? Yeah, I remember them, and, and they trusted Christ, but Paul, this is where they're at now. This is what's happening. And Paul knew they were taking God at his word. They were living by faith in the Lord Jesus. Well, what else? What, tell me more about this church. Tell me about Ephesus. What's going on there? Well, Paul, I've got to tell you, this church, they love one another. They love one another sacrificially. They love one another. They have a love, an intense love, a sacrificial love for fellow believers. And when Paul heard these things, he couldn't stop himself from praying. And his heart overflowing with thanksgiving. I suppose it it, it could be said that we're thankful for all believers, aren't we? (laughs) In a general sense. Um, I I don't want to push you too far here, but is there anybody that you kind of have to remind yourself in everything give thanks when you run into them? I mean, you just don't quite see eye to eye. You're just not cut out of the same cloth. You don't have the same background. You're not, you know, it just, you don't really see eye to eye. And, uh, Paul, when he heard about these believers, though, his heart was just drawn out to praise God and to thank God for what God was doing in their lives. What, what was it that brought Paul such joy? Well, it's their faith. Faith is just taking God at his word. I can't help. Uh, I, I think if I could boil down my desire for you as God's people, it would be this. If you will take God at his word, you will be who God wants you to be. You will serve the way God wants you to serve. You will love who and how you ought to love. You will be who God wants you to be if you will take God at his word. Uh, this, this book, this book is what we need. This book reveals to us who God is. It, it clarifies for us who we are. It discerns our thoughts and our intentions when we think we know what we're actually thinking and, and why we're going a certain direction, the Word of God clarifies these things. Uh, we were saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
through taking God at his word, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And God wants us to live every day by faith. Not just saved by faith, but to live every day by faith. To the church at Corinth, Paul wrote, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Just one day at a time. One decision at a time. Lord, what is your will for me in this decision? Okay. God, where should I go from here? Okay. God's word. God's word directs our steps. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. A lamp. Just doesn't illuminate way out in the distance, just, just for the next step. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my steps. Um, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God cleanses us. And Paul rejoiced that they were taking God at his word. But then he rejoices and he praises God and his heart is full of thanksgiving. And it leads him to pray for them even more because of their love unto all the saints. You see it there at the end of verse number 15. Their love unto all the saints. Could that be said of you? She has a love for all the saints. And remember, saints aren't people who are already dead. Who a council of, a formal council uh, gives to them sainthood. That's not a saint, according to the Bible. A saint is someone who's believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are saved. They're robed in the righteousness of Christ. Saved. And so there are many saints in this room here today. Do you have a love for all the saints? Because you should. Do you love God the way that you ought? Uh, you know that it really is impossible to love God and, and, and not love the body of Christ? It really is impossible. It's impossible to love God and to not have an intense, burning love for his body. You can't do it. We can say that we have a love for God, but if we don't have a love for his body, we don't love him. Do you have a love for God's people? Turn over with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. John the beloved of Jesus Christ, the, the apostle that many believe was closest to the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry, penned down these words in 1 John chapter number 4. If you truly love God, you will have a heart full of love for your fellow believers. I'm going to say that again, that this is so important. If you truly love God, which we're commanded to do, and most all of us would say, well, I do love him. But if you truly love him the way he desires, then, then, then we'll love the body of believers as we ought. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. John is speaking. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then notice verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And he makes this connection for you and for me. Just in case some of us have been tempted or we've been deceived into thinking that we can love God 
and have absolutely no concern for the children of God, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, just in case we've kind of bought into that thinking that I, I can love God and, and, and I don't have time for any of God's children. Or I, I, the needs of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ doesn't affect me. You know, they've been irresponsible here or they've made some foolish decisions over there. Or, or, or to think maybe that I can love God and, and uh, have no desire to, to gather with the body of Christ. You know, getting together with, with people really does show our love sometimes. Just this past week, there was a funeral that I had the privilege to be a part of. And those who were involved in that funeral, the, the individual who had passed away, Joyce, she loved to spend time with, and there was a group of people that she loved to spend time with. And she invested herself in them. And you know why? It was, just a, it was just an outpouring of what was in her heart. It was just love. It was, she loved them, and she couldn't stop herself from wanting to be close to them and to be a part of their lives and to go on a vacation here or to go there and do that. And when we say that we love God and we really... It really doesn't bother us at all when we're not gathering together with one another. It really is very telling about our love for God, about our love for the things of this earth. There's a Jewish legend, a story. It's not a biblical story, but I'm going to use that as an illustration this morning. It's a story about two brothers, Shimon and Levi, about these two brothers who loved one another. It says this, Two brothers, Shimon and Levi, inherited a large field from their parents. Instead of dividing the land into separate fields, they decided to work the field together. Every morning they got up early and worked the days together. At harvest time, they would cut the wheat and bind it into sheaves and divide it equally into piles. Then each brother would carry his pile into his own storehouse. One year, after harvesting all day in the sun, the brothers decided to sleep beside their piles of sheaves instead of carrying them to their, own, to their own storehouses that night. But late that night, Shimon could not sleep. He kept thinking of his brother Levi. And he thought, it isn't fair that the harvest is divided equally between us. Levi has a family to support, but I am alone. Why should I take so much? It is better that he receive a bigger portion." So Shimon got up, gathered up as many sheaves as he could from his pile, and secretly placed them on his brother's stack. He then went back to his own pile of sheaves and slept sweetly. A while later, Levi awoke from a dream. In his dream, he saw his brother, Shimon, as an old, old and sick man. He thought, it isn't fair that the harvest is divided equally. Shimon is all alone. He has no wife or children to care for him when he gets old. He will need more grain to help him prepare for his future. It is better that he receive a bigger portion. So Levi got up, gathered up as many sheaves as he could from his pile, and secretly placed them on his brother's stack. He then went back to his pile of sheaves and slept sweetly. When daylight came, the two brothers went to load their wagons, but were amazed to see the same number of sheaves in their piles as before. Perplexed, they quietly finished their work and went home, but neither brother could sleep that night. Each kept thinking of the needs of the other. Finally, each went to his storehouse, took as many sheaves as he could carry, and began to walk quietly to his brother's house. Suddenly, halfway between their homes, the two brothers saw each other in the moonlight. In an instant, they both understood the other's heart. You know, that should be obvious in Trinity Baptist Church. It should be obvious to one another that our hearts are for one another. 
that we long for one another, that we love one another, that we care for one another. Do you love one another? Do you love, do you have a love for all the saints? Listen, we are busy people. It is true. Uh, even this past week, as I spoke with the evangelist, and we, we were talking about meetings, and, and, uh, and it was a wonderful meeting, and God worked in our hearts this week. It was an encouraging meeting as we considered the Word of God together. But we were talking about it, and we were talking about the busyness of our schedules today and how it's just hard for people to be able to come. Sometimes some folks can't, it's not even possible to happen. And others, it puts them in such a situation where they don't, they're not eating dinner or they're not getting home until very late and they got early mornings and it extends the week and, and it's just difficult. It can be hard. And we were talking about these things. We were thinking about you. And, uh, you know, do you think about one another? Do you have a love for one another? Do you have a genuine love for the body of Christ? When, when visitors join us or visit us for a service, our love for one another should be painfully obvious to them. Our love for one another should be a genuine and sincere love, not a plastic love. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And in John 13, and verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. How is it that the world can know truly that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, because our pastor preaches the Bible, that's how. That's not what Jesus said. Because we gather once, twice, three, four times in one week, that's how. Well, that's not what he says. How is it that we can know? How, how is it that others know that we are, we are truly disciples, followers, pursuers of the Lord Jesus Christ and his will? It becomes obvious to the world in which we live. When they look at us and they say, Whoa, they love one another. They must be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes obvious. So Paul had heard of their faith and of their love. Secondly, this morning, Paul hoped that they would know Jesus Christ through God's word. He had a hope for these believers And his hope was that they would know Jesus Christ, that they would know him. Now, this is an interesting uh, concept here. It's not quite as simple as it may sound. Notice in verses 16 and 17, he says that he ceases not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers. And then in verse 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is what he's praying for, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So really, as Paul prays for them, he begins to pray for them simply by this. I want them, Lord, help them to know you. God, help them to know you. I could pray specifically this way. You know, sometimes I find in my own prayer life that many of my prayers can get caught up, and this is not necessarily a wrong thing, but many of our prayers can get caught up in praying for healing. Or we can, get, we can get caught up praying for physical needs, financial needs. Or that the car will just run another week. Or, uh, 
or, or relational needs. Restoration between people who have been estranged. And we can get caught up in those things. Uh, we, can, we can pray for people who are being persecuted, that God would deliver them from the persecution. And we can pray for a lot of things like that. And it's not wrong to pray for those things. But it is interesting to me that the first thing that the Apostle Paul prays for, for these believers, is that they would know God. Maybe we would do well. And I would ask you to pray for me this way. God, help Pastor Ferguson to know you. To know you. And, and I would do well to pray for you this week and in the weeks to come. God, and I could name you by name, God, help this individual to know you. Not, Lord, help them to be more faithful. Or, Lord, help them to be more disciplined. Or, or God, encourage their heart. Or, God, give them relief. God, help them to know your grace. Those are all fine things to pray. But, Lord, help them to know you. And that's, what, and that's what Paul was praying for in this passage. God wants you and I to know him. Of course, the atheist believes that there is no God to know. The agnostic states that if there is a God, we can't know him. But willful ignorance of, of God always leads mankind into corruption and condemnation. And it's interesting in the passage in verse number 17, he wants them to know God, to know Christ, but through the wisdom and revelation, which would be the word of God. Oh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Anybody, without even reading the word of God, can look around at creation, and if they have a thinking mind at all and are willing to give it any time of thought at all, they can know there is a creator who is all-powerful and incredible and who is eternal. That's what God tells us in that passage. And he says, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they knew of him, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful for him, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Willful ignorance of God always leads mankind into corruption and condemnation. Where does it all begin? It begins with an unwillingness to know God as creator as sustainer? Do you know him as your governor? Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him? Do you know him as your judge? Do you know God? Do you have a desire to know God? God wants you to know him. Tonight, as I look at this passage in, in Revelation 18, and it has not brought my heart a whole lot of joy and thrill to preach in chapters 17 and chapter 18, where this awful judgment of God is raining down upon the earth. Frankly, it's awful. It's hard for me to stomach in some ways. And yet through my study of it and through our study of it as a church on Sunday nights, we have all come to a better understanding, a more full understanding of who God is and his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. And I'll tell you, it's helped me in my personal walk with God. And we're studying about a period of time that I'm not even going to be around for on this earth. I'm not going to have to go through those days on this earth. 
And yet it has helped me personally in my walk with the Lord. Why? Because the word of God, the revelation of God, specifically the book of Revelations, but all the word of God brings us into a, a more clear understanding and knowledge of who God really is. God wants you to know him. Really, if I could boil it down even further, the Apostle Paul is saying to these believers, he's saying this, Jesus Christ is the answer for your needs. Jesus Christ alone is the answer for your needs. Jesus Christ is the answer for your needs. How many of you here in this room were introduced uh, to your, how, your husband or your wife by a friend or a relative? Someone came to you and said, hey, there's somebody you've got to meet. Anybody like that in this room? Okay, hold them up just a little bit there. It's not embarrassing. You're not ashamed of it. All right, thank you. May put it down. Um, before Cindy and I met in college, I was counseling at a camp the summer before in Pennsylvania, and someone approached me, one of the assistant camp directors approached me and said, so you're going to go to this school in the fall? And, and they, they said, there's somebody there I know, and, and you need to meet them. You need to meet her. And, you know, I didn't think too much about that. When I got to school that fall, I was 21 years old, and and, uh, you know, I had just started there, and, of course, I'm one of the older sophomores on campus, you know, and, and guys, well-meaning friends would be like, hey, hey, there's somebody I want to introduce you to, you know, and they'd introduce me to this girl or that girl or this girl, you know, and it was just, whew, it was getting a little overwhelming, you know, it just, they, I'm thinking, what were you thinking introducing me to her, you know, this is not, this is not the one, you know. I'm not talking about my wife now, I'm talking about other girls, all right. But there was that uh, Stephen Cohn. He said, uh, there's a girl, and he might even mentioned your name. But he said, there's a girl in, in Pensacola, and you need to meet her. You need to meet her. And I think that's kind of the idea of what Paul's talking about here. Uh, and he's praying for this church that they would have an encounter, a meeting, that they would know Jesus Christ. Uh, how many of you have ever been recommended to go to a physician? You had a need. Someone looked at you and said, they perceived you have a need to see a physician. Uh, not, not because you had an issue. Not because they just thought you needed to see a physician. But they, and they thought, you know, this physician, that my, my doctor could help you. Or my surgeon could help you. And I've heard of some of you have talked to me about, about that. Uh, whether it was a cancer doctor or a cancer surgeon or somebody like that. Uh, and that's the idea of this passage. Paul's saying, there's somebody I want you to meet. There's someone, you have a need, and this person can meet your need. And, and, and by the way, these are believers. These are born-again children of God. But they, they, had, they, they had room in their lives. They had room in their minds. They had room in their understanding to know Jesus Christ. They were born again. They were going to heaven when they died. That wasn't in question, but they had needs in their lives. And Paul, knowing their needs, says, you need to know him. There's somebody you have to meet. You've already, you already know him at this level, but you need to know him in a more intimate way. You need to know him in a more full way. Some time ago, or it was back in the spring, I tore my bicep. And uh, my wife could tell you I was a bit worthless. I, 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 told, I told her I, I thought I did it vacuuming helping her out one day with the vacuum, you know, can't do that again. You know, the vacuum and me just don't work out. I don't think it was that. And, uh, and I, was, I was in rough shape. I mean, I didn't really know what it was when it first happened. I didn't know what it was. And when days went by, and I'm just, I'm just kind of an invalid. You know, I mean, when you have a torn bicep, life just ends. You can't do anything. Uh, 
if you're a guy. You can't do anything. You know, you know how men are. We get sick and it's all over. Anyway, uh, so uh, somebody in the church mentioned to me how a chiropractor had really helped their son. And they said, you should go. And uh, at that point, I'm desperate. You know, I'll go anywhere. I'll pay anything. I, I need this to go away. I'm in pain. And, uh, and so I'd never been to a chiropractor before. I went to the place that had been mentioned, and, and I didn't know it, but the individual that they had recommended wasn't there. But in their office, there was another chiropractor, and she was glad to see me. I'd never been. X-rays were taken. Cracks, pops, snapples all happened while she cracked and poked and prodded. And does this hurt? Does that hurt? No, twists and everything else. And I'm in pain, and, you know, just heal me. Just make me better. I don't care, you know, whatever it is. And it turned out that she was more of a natural medicine-type person, which I didn't know. So now I'm holding bottles of pills, and she's testing how it works, and I'm holding creams to my chest, and she's working on blood flow over here with something. And, and I bought it. I bought the bottle. I bought the cream. Over $200 later, I left. You know, and she said, and she wanted, and she did. We scheduled. I scheduled for three times a week for the rest of my life or something like that. And, and I got in the truck, and I'm driving home, and Cindy called. And she said, well, how'd it go? Are you feeling better? No, not really. And uh, she said, well, what'd they say? I don't know. <laughs> um, she said, uh, well, uh, well, what'd they do? I, I don't know. We worked on my, my circulation, my blood, and um, a bunch of things popped. And uh, she said, well, what, what do they want you to do now? Well, I'm supposed to come back again, forever. And uh, she said, you need to call them back right now. And, and so Cindy ended up getting me to go to another doctor. He said, you've got, you got a torn bicep two weeks. You'll be better. I said, isn't there something else I can do? And he said, well, I can do this treatment, but I don't think you need it. I said, let's do the treatment. He said, you don't need it. You see, all I just wanted to be better. I had a need. I was willing to pay. I mean, I was vulnerable. I just wanted to be fixed. I just wanted to be better. But you know what? There was that one individual, she wasn't able to meet my need. And I want you to know this, folks. When you go in, it doesn't matter who you are. Every one of us face different challenges and different needs and different trials and different heartaches. And, and here's the truth that the Apostle Paul wanted these believers to know. There's somebody I want you to meet, and he can meet your need. And I want you to know him. And I want you to know him. And really, that's the message of the Bible. Only God can meet your needs. Only God can meet your needs. And Satan deceived Eve and Adam into not believing that truth. Only God can meet your needs. Sin entered into the world, and it's been the same sin ever since. Not putting our faith and trust in the Lord. Not trusting Him. Not believing upon Him. Questioning His word. Looking elsewhere to find something greater and something more. Noah, ultimately, by faith, by taking God at his word, is delivered. But after that, Tower of Babel, uh, God can't meet my need. I'm going to create something else. And on and on it goes. God, I'll find, my, I'll find my help through some other means besides God. And the message of the word of God is this. God can meet your need. And he meets your need through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it starts with salvation. But you and I, as a child of God, need to know him as the God who can meet our needs. It's the message of the Bible. And so, do you have anxiety? What are the issues of your life? Do you have anxiety? Is it an issue in your marriage? Is it a hardship at work? Is it a struggle in your family? Is it an uncertainty about tomorrow? 
You need to know Jesus Christ because only He can meet your needs. It's been said that to know Him personally is salvation. To know Him increasingly is sanctification, to be set apart from this world. To know Him perfectly will happen someday when we stand before Him. That's glorification. We'll see Him as He is. There's one last truth I want to notice this morning, and that's this. Paul wanted them to know what they had in the Lord. So Paul had heard of their faith and love. We saw that. Paul hoped that they would know Jesus Christ through God's word. But then Paul wanted them to know what they had in the Lord. Notice verses 18 and 19. He's praying now. This is his prayer. He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. So to see what we have in Christ, we need to have several things that he prays for specifically. One, eyes that are open. Eyes that are open. Notice again in verse 18, the beginning part, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. If you're going to see, if you're going to know Christ better, your your eyes are going to have to be opened. Have you ever looked for your glasses only to find them later on the top of your head? Have you ever been searching for your keys, you know, frantically, like you've got to go, you should have left five minutes ago and you can't find your keys only to find them in your pocket? Have you ever been sent by your wife to the refrigerator to get mustard and it wasn't there? I mean, like, it really it wasn't there. And after you told her, it's not there, I don't see it. Did you already put it on the table? I don't see it, it's not here. And as you heard her footsteps, your vision came into focus and it was like right there. And you took it and you put it on the counter and you kept looking in the refrigerator. I don't see it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever looked for something and it's like right in front of your face? I can remember my dad saying, open your eyes to me when I was a young boy. Hmm. That's where it comes from. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Open your eyes. And Paul was praying for them that their eyes would be open. You know, sometimes the very answer for the problem that we're facing is right there. And we just don't see it. I want you to know something. No matter what it is, no matter where you're at, the answer answer to your need is in Christ, and it is right there. You have it if you're a child of God. And there's a need for us that our eyes be opened. Uh, In John, the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead, and he had appeared to many of his followers and to the apostles. But Thomas hadn't seen him. And the apostles told him, he's risen. He's alive. And you remember what Thomas said? Unless I see the prince of the nails in his hands, and the prince of the nails in his feet, and unless I'm able to thrust thrust my hand into his side, I won't believe it. Jesus comes to him. And he told Thomas, he says, see the nail prince? See the nail prince? See the Go ahead, thrust your hand into my side where the spear was thrust in. And he tells Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are they who believe who have not seen. 
you and I need to live by faith, not by sight. And that doesn't mean, that's not a hope so. That's not a, a shot in the dark. That is you and I taking what God has told us in his word and putting all of our confidence in what he says. Not what we're feeling, not what we're experiencing, not in what man can do, but in who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We have the answers in his word. We have the answer. We need to know him. We need to open our eyes and and see him in a sense, but it's going to be by faith because you and I can't look at his wounds. We can't thrust our hands into his side. We need to believe, and we do by faith. We're gathered here together by faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says died a death in our place, an awful, excruciating death, was buried and rose again the third day. And we take him by his word. And I want you to know, and I encourage you as a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have believed upon him for that. You must believe upon him on a daily basis. You must look to the word of God to guide you and direct your steps. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's you and me, may be mature, perfect, truly furnished, fully equipped unto all good works. In other words, for everything life can throw at you. The word of God is, is all that you need. It is the word of God. In Psalm 19, in verse 7, the Bible speaks of the word of God. It speaks of itself. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Part of the reason we gather together on Sunday morning, Sunday school, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, is for, because we love one another. We want to see one another. We want to see how, how we're doing, and we want to pray for one another, and we want to just gather together because, because we love God. That's why we do it. But But another reason is to gather around the word of God, to hear his commandments. Did you hear it say it's more precious than gold? Wow. If they were giving away gold on a Sunday morning somewhere else, would it really be that bad for me to go get some gold and miss hearing the word of God? Maybe attend Sundays a year? Well, maybe. I mean, it's gold. After all, gold, gold, you know, it's... uh, you know, our cash currency isn't very dependable, right? So gold, you know, that'd, be, that'd give us safety and security. And the Bible says the word of God is more valuable, much more valuable than gold. And so he prays that their eyes would be open. You know, it's God's word that helps us know what we have in Christ. He also, he also prays that they would have hope. Notice verse 18, the middle part. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Look over in chapter 2, and I think it's in verse number 12. Verse 12, that, that at that time, it says, he says, Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time in our lives when we were without hope. And Paul prays that these believers would have hope. 
Some of us are going through life and we continually worry. We continually are afraid. We don't live in, and really we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't live in disappointment, but we should be hoping in the Lord. And the word hope here doesn't mean I... I'm crossing my fingers. The word hope here, it means to be assured that it's all going to be okay. And our hope, our assurance stretches out past this life. Throughout all of eternity, our hope is secure in the Lord. And he prays for them that their eyes would be open, that they would have hope. And then in, in, in verse 18, the latter part, that they would have an accurate accounting. Notice in verse 18, the latter part. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, I want them to have a right accounting. Do you know what you currently have in Jesus Christ? Are you searching high and low for something God has already given to you? I'll tell you this. One thing that I'm learning as I grow older. You know, there, there have been times earlier in my life I've been raised in Christianity, raised memorizing the word of God. There have been many times in my life where I've had this arrogant thought earlier in life that, you know what, I kind of have it all figured out. I don't have that kind of thinking anymore. And, and for sure I don't have that kind of thinking when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so, he is so deep and so vast. He is everything that I need. And I am learning as I grow older. I'm learning to begin to look to him more and more. Lord, what is it that you, how can you provide for me in this? He is my provider. He is my everything. Do you have an accurate accounting of what you have in the Lord? William Randolph Hearst was an avid collector of rare and fine things. One day, Mr. Hearst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he had to own, so he sent his agent abroad around the world to find these artifacts. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. They were in Mr. Hearst's own warehouse. Hearst had been searching frantically for treasures he already owned, And had he read the catalog of his treasure, he would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble. You see, God, though, God also gets something out of our salvation. Look at that verse, again, at verse 18, the latter part, he says, And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? The inheritance of Christ in the saints. You know, it's true, when we we trusted Christ, we get Christ. We, We get him. We his death, his burial, his resurrection, eternal life. But it is also true that when we receive Christ, that Christ gets us. Now, we might think of that thought and think, well, he didn't get much. Okay, that's one way to look at it. And yet, God is the one who sets the value. And how much did it cost him to save you? It cost him the blood of his only begotten son. That's pretty precious. And so, Paul says, I want you to know the riches of the inheritance that Christ has. I want you to know what you have in Christ. But I also want want you to know what he has in you. You see, our value is measured by the precious blood of Jesus. Our salvation is the theme of songs sung in heaven. This day, we've read about it in the book of Revelation. Chapters designated to the throne room of God, the the created beings of God in heaven singing praises, glory to the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world to save the souls of men. It's incredible. And, and, And God 
God views you and me as precious. And all that you need, you find in Christ, we have in Christ. And then there's an understanding of his power in verse 19. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now notice how this is written. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. It's uh, emphasized greatly. The power of God, though, I want you to see this and we're done, is, is to usward who believe. The power of God the power of God, as, and it's written this way, as if all of the power of God is directed to usward who believe. Now, my question is this. Should I go through life discouraged and depressed because I don't have what I need? Paul says, no. You need to know Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's part of the reason why he has brought hardships into our lives. So that we will better know him. And worship him. And glorify him and honor him. And all the power of God, the Godhead, is directed toward you. We catch a glimpse of his power when we think of God's creation. It's interesting in Genesis chapter 1. The account of creation is happening. God's creating this and creating that. He's by his speech. And at the end, I think it's verse number 16 in Genesis chapter 1, he makes this statement, and the stars also. Like, he tossed those in for good measure, you know. The stars also, no big deal. Our sun is a star. The sun gives heat, light, right? Our sun, for instance, is rated a star of only the fifth magnitude. In other words, it's not nearly one of the brightest stars. It shines with a mild yellow light and is 100,000 times less luminous than its brightest neighbor. Nevertheless, the sun evokes our awe. It is 864,000 miles in diameter, consists of some 335 quadrillion cubic miles of violently hot gases and weighs more than two octillion tons. Till this week, I didn't even know that was a word. It orbits the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, once every 200 million years. With the naked eye, we can see only about 7,000 stars. The Milky Way, however, contains about 100 billion orbiting stars. The sun is just one of them. And the 100 billion orbiting stars the Milky Way contains is 100,000 light years in diameter. That is the Milky Way, 100,000 light years in diameter. I'm not sure how many of you think in light years on a regular basis. An inconceivable 600 million billion miles of stars. And in Genesis 1, and the stars also. No big deal. We see the greatness, the exceeding greatness of God's power when we look at the heavens. When we consider about the creation of the earth and when we ponder the redemption of mankind. To create... I would remind you of this, and I'll end. Required only that God speak. To redeem your soul, required that he suffer. And Paul's saying to these believers, he chose you. He forgave you by his blood. He has assured your salvation by his Holy Spirit. Hey, I see your faith. And, 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 I can see, and I've, heard, I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love to your fellow saints, but I want you to know Christ more fully.
You're going to have to open your eyes and look to his word. You're going to have to hope. You're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to know his power, all of his power, is directed toward you. I'll tell you, as I study this passage, what it's doing is it's removing all the crutches that I might have leaned on. And it's, it's, it's recalibrating me to focus on him alone and say, God, you have everything I need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to see it myself. It's awesome. Would you stand with me to your feet? Pastor Scott's going to lead us in a hymn. Take your hymnals, turn to hymn number 28, How Great Thou Art. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I I think you know it, but I want you to know it. He will save your soul. That's why he came. He will save your soul. Ask him. Put your trust in him. Ask him, Lord, would you save my soul from death and hell? Would you forgive me of my sin? He will save your soul. And for those of us who are saved, let's sing this song of the greatness of God together. We're going to sing maybe the first and the last. And let's sing it as unto the Lord, as a praise to glorify him and to worship him as we leave this morning. Uh, Hymn number 28. tonight.